You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey, let's pray before we dive into God's Word, cool? Everybody bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your Word. And God, thank you for the message of the gospel and thank you for the picture of the cross of Jesus. And Lord, thank you that we have the opportunity to come here and to hear from your word and to hear from you and to be challenged by your word, to be encouraged by your word, to be changed by your word. God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this evening. And I pray, Lord God, that you would um, just do a massive work of change in each of us. Lord, I pray that you would remind us through the preaching of your word of how great and awesome and generous and loving you are. God, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 18. Luke says this, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so as you sit in this moment after reading through this text and hearing it read, I want you to pause for just a minute. I want you to think. I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you want from God? And just think about that for a minute. What do you want from God? If you could ask God for anything, if you could ask Him for anything like right now, what would you ask Him for? What is the one thing that you've maybe been asking God for that it, it, you think that and you believe that if He just answered that prayer and gave you what you wanted, that it would somehow radically alter, radically change the direction and the course of your life. What is that one thing that you would ask him for right now? If he was like a genie in a bottle and you could rub it and say, I get one wish, what would that one thing be? Let me propose this too. As you think about that, let me propose an idea that I think oftentimes what happens to us, isn't it, isn't it possible that this is what happens? That sometimes we get like so focused on that thing that we want, that we don't have, the thing that God has yet to give us, 
or has yet to do for us. We get so focused on that that we totally, completely miss the things that he's actually given us. It's easy to miss the things that God has given us already. I feel like I'm in a jungle up here with these microphones. Sorry. I'm going to stay on this side of the stage. Is over there feels like a jungle with like the microphone in your face and everything. Sorry, I totally derailed us. Isn't it easy to totally miss the things that God has given you? The things that he's done right in front of you already. That's why this passage is super important. You think about where Jesus is, right? Think about where he is right now. Sitting in the temple. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, he's made his journey towards Jerusalem, the place of his death, the place where he's going to die for you and I. This is the trip he's taken and he's there. You think about what's happened over the last couple of weeks as he's made his way into Jerusalem, rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, comes riding down the mountain into the city, weeping big, massive tears over the lostness of Jerusalem, over the, the darkness in Jerusalem. As he comes there and he walks in the temple, flips over tables because he's ticked that the religious the religious system has become what it has become, full of sin, full of hypocrisy, full of selfishness, full of self, rather than the worship of God and the evangelization of lost people is what it's become. He comes weeping into the temple, angry, passionate into the temple, boots out people who are, who are money changing and selling things. And then he sets up right there in the court of the Gentiles and begins to preach. And one of the stories that he shares is this story right in front of us. I think what Luke is doing is he's reminding us of the, the generosity of God. Isn't he reminding us of the heart of God and his generous nature in terms of, of, of what he has already given us? And think about the people that are listening to Jesus as he's preaching as well. These people were expecting somebody else, right? They were expecting somebody else. They weren't expecting Jesus to come and to do what he is doing. So, so we catch this picture of Jesus sitting here in the temple preaching and the question we have to ask ourselves is what is it what is it that we wish God would do for us what, what are we so caught up with maybe is another way of asking it what are we so caught up with having that we actually fail to recognize what we have in Christ Luke begins to unpack a few things in this passage by way of, of recording this story that Jesus teaches that, that we have received in Christ that I think we have a tendency to often miss. And one of the first things I notice is this, that God has given us the gift of stewardship. He's given us the gift of stewardship. You think about that. It's a gift. The ability and the responsibility to steward and to manage. God has given us that as a gift. And what Luke tells us in, in, in this story is that, is that Jesus began to tell the people this parable. That's how he starts out. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. Now, a parable is actually an allegorical story which is meant to teach us about God's heart for us. 
It's an allegorical story that's meant to teach us a truth about God. And in this case, it's actually a story that's meant to teach us about God's heart of generosity towards you and I, towards sinners who actually oppose the authority of God. Think about that. God's heart towards people who sinfully oppose his authority is a heart of generosity and love. That's a gift, right? That's a gift. Think about this for a minute. When Jesus tells us that a man planted a vineyard and he let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long time, what he's doing is he's explaining the Father's work of planting and establishing a fruitful community of believers who then have been left in the care of other spiritual leaders to cultivate, to care for, to steward. This is what happens in families where parents have children. This is what happens in church communities where we look across the aisle at our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what God does is plants and establishes communities of believers who are meant to mirror him and his love and his heart of generosity to the world. Kent Hughes in his commentary on this passage, this is what he says, listen to this. Jesus' story, the story that Jesus shared, Jesus' story employed an image that everyone readily understood. A vineyard representing Israel. Israel thought of itself as the vineyard of God, and a number of scriptures make that allusion, including Psalm 80, Isaiah 27, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 19, Hosea 10. But the most famous, catch this, the most famous is the song of the vineyard in Isaiah 5. And in that passage in Isaiah 5 there, Isaiah describes God's loving care for his vineyard. He also describes God's disappointment with the vineyard because it yielded only bad fruit. And then finally, God's judgment of the vineyard and his mourning over it. And so what Jesus is doing here when he tells this story is he's explaining, again, the Father's work of planting and establishing a fruitful community of believers who've been left under the care of other spiritual leaders who now have been given the gift and the responsibility of stewarding and managing fruitful and God honoring growth throughout the community. That's, that's the job of spiritual leaders. You, you look around the room, this is, this is not just the primary job of me on a stage every Sunday. This is, the, this, is the, this is the primary job of every believer in this room. We, we have been given the gift of leadership, of being able to steward and manage the spiritual growth of other people in the community that we are a part of. Well, what's your role in that? What's your part in that? See, so one of the things that we don't believe in as we look at the scriptures is we do not believe in the, in, in, in the kind of church community where you can just come and sit and consume a product. Predators do that. Predators do that, right? We're not predators. We're sheep. Now, we are stupid sheep sometimes, every last one of us, okay? And I'll just, I'll be the chief stupid sheep first. 
The picture that we catch in this passage is that of the gift and the responsibility of stewarding the spiritual growth throughout the community that we claim to be a part of. And the question you need to ask yourself is this, are you faithfully managing or stewarding what God has given you? See, the religious leaders in this passage, they opposed Jesus. They opposed him. And and, and they were guilty not only of opposing his authority and trashing the gifts that God had given him, but, but they were also guilty of not stewarding and not managing the spiritual growth of the community that they claimed to be a part of. Like these so-called spiritual leaders, these so-called Christians, they saw God's people as a means of gain rather than an awesome gift and privilege to be stewarded. They saw the community of God's people as a means of consumerism rather than a kingdom to be contributed to. And so the questions that we need to ask is, man, like, like how are you doing at faithfully managing or stewarding what God has given you? God, God has given us an awesome gift, an awesome responsibility of stewardship and management. How are you doing at faithfully managing or stewarding what God has given you? Are you more of a consumer or are you more of a contributor? What do you want from God? Is the question that rolls around in all this. Because if one thing, if you, if, you, if you want something so much so that you miss the fact that you've been given the gift of stewardship. What will you do with the opportunity to then steward that gift of stewardship? Think about that. Like the ability to steward the gift of stewardship that's been given to you. How will you do with that? What are you so caught up with having that you fail to recognize what you have been given in Christ? It's not just that God has given us the gift of stewardship, but he's also given us the gift of his messengers. You look at verses 10 through 12. After explaining that the Father has planted his vineyard, has established this vineyard, which is the community of God's people, Jesus tells us that when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Now if you just step back from that picture for a moment and you just look at the picture that, that Jesus is painting of the heart of God, think about the patience of God as he continues to pursue his people. He continues to send one servant after the next, right? One messenger after the next, he continues to send. And and what do we do with those messengers? Beat the crap out of them, right? Doesn't this kind of remind you of the picture of what Israel has done with all of its prophets? Kent Hughes again commenting on this section. He says this. He says, This triad of beatings summarizes Israel's wretched and uniform treatment of its prophets. Stephen, he says, Stephen, before his stoning, referenced this when he shouted to the Sanhedrin, You stiff necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? What happened to Stephen? Those of you that know the story, got stoned. 
They didn't smoke a joint like so many other so-called Christians today do. Got stoned with rocks. Stoned with rocks because he, he preached the truth. Because he spoke the truth. Elijah was driven into the wilderness by the monarchy. Isaiah, according to tradition, was sawed in two. Zechariah was stoned to death near the altar. John the Baptist was beheaded. And the writer of Hebrews summarizes it all this way. He says, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. As it, is it really so different today? Let me ask yourself this about yourself even. I'm going to ask this about myself too. I mean, I have to as I read this, right? I realize I'm the preacher on the stage. But man, God has given me the gift of messengers as well, right? Uh, messengers among the brothers and sisters of, in Christ here in this room. Messengers of other pastors and preachers and leaders, messengers within the scriptures and the Bible and books that have been written and given to me, the same has been given to you. And the question for us has to be this, like, are we joyfully receiving and acting upon the message of the gospel? As God sends messengers to you to speak to you, are you joyfully receiving and then responding to and acting upon what you are learning? I mean, Israel's leaders beat the ever-living crap out of God's messengers. That's what Israel did. They treated them shamefully. They wounded them. They casted them out. They, they sent them away empty-handed. They closed their ears. They plugged their ears. They covered their eyes so that they would not hear or see the message that the messengers of God were bringing to them. The messengers of the Lord are a gift from God. And all throughout the scriptures, we see this abuse. They closed their ears to the message of the gospel. And they not only abused the community of God around them, but they abused the messengers that God had given them. Like God has given us a gift in messengers of the gospel. Are you joyfully receiving and acting upon the truth of the message of the gospel as God's messengers bring that message to you? Go back and ask yourself again, what do you want from God when you think about the things that God has already given you? What is it that you want from God right now that your heart is so lusting after and desiring that you have failed to recognize and realize that God has given you some of the most basic gifts in the ability and the responsibility to steward the gospel? as well as to hear the gospel. He's given you and I gifts. What is it that we are so caught up with having that we absolutely fail to recognize what we have in Christ? And God has also given us the gift of His beloved Son, right? 
He's also given us the gift of his beloved son. These religious leaders in this passage, they were not happy with Jesus, right? They weren't happy with him whatsoever. They weren't delighting themselves in Jesus. Jesus was not the desire of their heart's affection. They did not want Jesus, though he was standing right in front of them. And if you could ask them all in the Sunday school room, what do you want the most? They might have told you, man, we want the Savior to come. We want the Messiah to come. We want the King to come and set up his kingdom. But when he was sitting right in front of them, what did they do? They didn't really want Jesus. They wanted a trumped up image of who they thought Jesus was going to be or who they thought Jesus should be. And this is not only pr proven by their, like their continued abuse of God's people and their continued abuse of God's messengers. But listen, it was also proven by their continued abuse of Jesus himself. This is why Jesus like continues his parable by saying this. When the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, whoa, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And talk about like the prophecy of all prophecies, right? Jesus standing in the temple prophesies this about himself. And it's not the first time that he's done it. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, a number of times Jesus has made statements like, Man, tear down this house. I'll rebuild it in three days. I'm headed to Jerusalem to die a horrendous death. And oftentimes, even those who were the closest to him failed to recognize the gift of the truth and grace of the gospel that was being spoken to them by even Jesus himself. Jesus, the perfect temple, he's standing in the temple, prophesying about how the religious leaders would soon commit the highest level of abuse when they take the gift of God's beloved son and murder him shamefully. Kent Hughes, again, this time quoting Martin Luther, he says this. He says, man, if I were God and the world had treated me as I treated him or as it treated him, I would have drop kicked the wretched thing to pieces. Right? I mean, can you feel that frustration? It's Martin Luther. I, like, I love Martin Luther and the way he, he communicates. But instead of turning his back on the world, God continued sending servant after servant. Rebuffs, insults, and beatings did not stop him. And finally, he sent his son. And then Spurgeon, choke slamming, right? You've seen that video that I posted on Facebook. Spurgeon walks into the room. He says this, this man, if you reject him, listen, if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. And if you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. Is there an amen anywhere for that? Like, I'm the only one that gets excited when Spurgeon says really crazy cool things. Like, really? Come on. Jesus is love made manifest. Jesus is standing right among the very people who oppose him and reject him and are going to murder him ruthlessly. And lovingly, he says to them, I've been sent for you. There's nothing else that you could want 
that can outdo wanting me. That's what Jesus is saying in their midst. I'm here. I'm right here. What do you want from God that has caused you to miss the fact that Jesus, by the power of His Spirit, is standing literally right in front of you, speaking to you and saying, I am all you need. I'm the greatest gift you could ever have. There's no relationship that you could have that would be better than having Jesus. There's, there's, there's no thing that you could buy that would be better than having Having Jesus. Listen, for me, there's no church I could plant that would be better than having Jesus. There's no leadership team you could develop that would be better than having Jesus. There's no better gospel community that you could be a part of that would be better than having Jesus. At the end of the day, all of the good things and the bad things that we desire that wind up being idols inside of us because our hearts are like little idol factories, right? Just making them over and over and over again. You know how many times a week I got to stop and be like, holy crap, I didn't want Jesus. I wanted something else. What do you want from God that has caused you to miss the very things he's already given you? Some of the basics of the opportunity to steward what you've been given faithfully messengers of the Lord that have been sent to you with the truth and the message of the gospel? What about the greatest gift of all of His Son who came and died on a cross for you and I? What is it that you want from God? What are you caught up with having so much that you fail to recognize what you already have in Christ? And a final thing that I see in this passage that God has given us outside of those three things is God has given us warnings. And you might say, warnings, crap. Like, that's where we're going to end this message tonight is on like a warning. Thanks, pastor, right? We should think about this. Far too many of us think that a warning is not good news. I'm not going to fall off the stage, I promise. Far too many of us think that a warning is not good news. I want you to think about this. Just envision this. You're going to get this like immediately, right? A million miles an hour down the interstate on my bike. Get pulled over by a cop. No, this hasn't happened. But if it happened, well, maybe it has happened. Just haven't got pulled over by the cop. There, okay? We'll get it out there. You pray for my salvation. It's fine. A million miles an hour down the highway on my bike. Get pulled over by a cop. What am I expecting to get? A big fat ticket, right? What happens when the cop comes up and he's like, yo, I'm going to give you a warning today. What happens? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus, right? I'm good. This is called good news. This is why warnings are good news. And oftentimes you and I, we see warnings like, oh man, Jesus is flipping warning me again. This sucks. Like, no, get your head up. Like, this is good news when Jesus warns us. And I think that's why he ends this story this way, because it is good news. Side note, do you know what the gospel means? Good news. The gospel is good news. Do you know what you can't have? You know what you can't have and still have good news? No, I asked that the wrong way. No, I think I did ask that the right way. You can't have good news if you don't have bad news. I'll just get to the answer, okay? Because I was asking it all wrong. There is no good news without bad news, right? There's just no way. There's just no way. Good news is not good news unless you've got some bad news to put alongside of it. Good news of the warning that Jesus gives 
after he describes how his father has planted and established the community for his own possession, right? That he is actually left in the care of spiritual leaders who opposed every servant that he sent to them. And then they, they put his son to death. They put Jesus to death. Then he ends this parable by painting this stern warning for everyone who oppose and reject him. Jesus says, what then? What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And in other words, like Jesus is warning us that if we reject Jesus, then we also reject God, which means if we reject God, then God will destroy us. It's bad news, right? He will destroy us and give what he has offered us freely to someone else who will receive it and take it and keep it, right? That's the warning. It's destruction is what is coming for those of us who have rejected God. A passage Luke tells us that when the people heard this, they said, surely not. Like, what? Really? God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't destroy people. Surely he wouldn't do that, right? That's what the people are asking. They're shocked that this could happen. Jesus looked directly at them. I like the way Luke puts that. Jesus looked directly at them. Is that like a really intense stare? I mean, I don't know. Does he take his glasses off? Did he do that? I don't know how that looks, but Jesus looked directly at them. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't hide from confrontation. You and I might hide from confrontation. You and I have a hard time speaking the truth to someone because we are fearful of losing that friendship or relationship, right? Jesus looks directly at them and faces this confrontation and this conflict head on. It says, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I mean, this is a sobering warning. If you can envision this or get this picture in your head of what happens when you reject Christ. It's a sobering warning, but it's a gift from God for us. It's a gift from God that should not be taken lightly. God's warnings and instructions are costly gifts that should not be taken lightly by us in any way. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening to and responding to the warnings and the instructions that the Lord has given you? Jesus, listen to this. Go back to when Jesus was riding down the mountain on that borrowed donkey and people are laying the palm branches and the coats in front of him because they're willing to give anything for Jesus to go and to do what he has come to do, right? There's nothing that they would withhold. And they're singing this song, right? Hosanna in the highest. Here comes the king. The reference that that comes from is Psalm 118. And what Jesus quotes right here when he says, Hey, hey, what, what is this that is written? It's from Psalm 118 as well. What Jesus is doing is he is contextualizing right there in the midst of them. 
These people that, that, that laid their coats out for him on his way down into the city are like patting themselves on the back. Yo, look at me. I did a pretty good thing, right? And then they're actually like, whoa, surely not. This cannot be the message of the gospel. And then God's like, yes, actually it is. And Jesus is like, yo, you should listen. Like you were just seeing the first half of Psalm 118 here. What then is written in the second half of what you were seeing earlier so joyfully? I'm giving you a warning that this is what could happen if you reject me. The question for them and the question for us is, are we listening to and responding to the warnings and the instructions of the Lord? What he's doing is he's quoting the part of that psalm that literally prophesies about himself being rejected and then becoming the cornerstone. Listen, the cornerstone that locks the spiritual building of God's people together. And you go back to the passages we've talked about from Peter. Um, something that many of you hear me say all the time, like you can't follow Jesus on your own. Okay. Christianity was not meant to be an individual thing. We're meant to be unique individuals within a community. Bricks in a building, not brick and mortar like we're sitting in, but bricks in a spiritual building called the church. The church is not a place. The church is a people gathered in a place. Okay. The mortar that holds those bricks together because each of you and I is a brick that mortar is Jesus. He's the glue that holds us together. Jesus being the cornerstone of that building. It's like the foundation of what the church is to be built on. That cornerstone, Jesus himself, is what locks the spiritual building of God's people together. And when people reject Jesus, what happens is, they, is that they and we, when we reject Jesus, we essentially stumble on Jesus himself. We stumble and fall over our disbelief, over our misbelief, our false belief. I'd rather say that. Because when you and I struggle to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, what we're really doing is believing something else is true which is usually false, and we're believing something about Jesus that is not true. We're essentially believing that He was meant to give us something else other than what He has already given us. And so what happens and what His warning is in this passage is do not walk in such a way that you give into false beliefs about me because if you do, you will stumble over me and it will be as though a big gigantic rock just got dropped on top of some fine china. Jesus' judgment will fall upon those who have failed to believe in Him as their Lord and Savior and ransom and sacrifice. God has given us the gift of His warnings and instructions. The question for us is like, are we willing to listen to those warnings and those instructions? Are we willing to listen to those and respond to those warnings and instructions? Like, ask yourself again, what do you want from God? So if you don't want these four things, you don't want God. What do you want from God? What, what are you so caught up with having that you actually fail to recognize what you already have in Christ Jesus himself? 
Let me wrap it up this way. God has given us many gifts. He's given us many gifts that we oftentimes fail to recognize. Given us the responsibility of stewardship. He's given us his messengers of truth and grace to remind us to follow him faithfully. He's given us his beloved son so that by our faith and our trust and our surrender to him, that we can share in the inheritance of eternal life and relationship with him. He's given us warnings to remind us of the good news of the gospel. He's given us warnings to remind us of the destruction that comes into our lives as a result of rejecting him. And to remind us of the good news that if we receive him and accept him, we will be eternally secure in him. So the only question left for each of us to ask again is this. What do you want from God? What are you so caught up with? What are you so caught up with having that you fail to recognize what you have in Christ? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage. I thank you for the privilege of preaching it. But I pray that you would use this passage and this sermon to bring many to faith in you. I pray, God, that you would use it to encourage some in their faith. I pray, God, that you would use it to, um, to make change in people's lives. I pray that you would use it to help us to love you more. I pray, God, that you would use it to, to just give us a stark reminder of what you have given us. God, I do pray that you would, maybe through the power of your spirit, God, that you would just uh, um, like open our hearts so, uh, so, so that we would maybe just be convicted of maybe the things that we have been wanting um, to the extent that we've maybe missed and forgotten what you have given us. Help us to grow in the way that we steward the gifts that you give us. Help us to grow in our ability to respond to the message of the gospel. Help us to, help us to, 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 to focus our attention and our desires upon Jesus. Help us to, uh, help us to heed the warnings and the instructions of scriptures as well. Help us to look to your cross on your cross alone. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Hey, listen, as we uh, wrap up and close this down for tonight, um, we're going to close up in a, in a song of worship, and there's going to be two of us. It's supposed to be Eric and I down front serving communion, but I'm just going to, I think I'm going to have to ask Dave to maybe come and help, because um, I know Eric's back with the kids. Um, we're going to close. Um, by engaging in communion together. And uh, just want to encourage you as we worship, before you even come down to grab communion, I want you to spend some time letting the Holy Spirit apply this message to your heart. I really want you to think about these four categories, these four gifts that God's given you, the stewardship of your life, time, your talent, your treasure, the message of the gospel. How, how are you doing it that receiving that gift of stewardship and then stewarding that gift of stewardship, right? Is there, is there in any way that you've been rejecting God's message as he brings the message of the gospel to you? Is there any way that you need to be confessing and repenting 
of that. Any ways that you've been living your life that is, a, that is an outright rebellious rejection of God's good news to you. Been living your life in, in ways maybe where you have been wanting things other than Christ himself. Maybe you need to spend some time letting the Holy Spirit do work there for you before coming to take communion. And the reason that we take communion every week uh, is not so that it just becomes some dead, boring, symbolic uh, thing that we do. We do this so that we can celebrate the power of the cross, the power of the death of Jesus, the power of the blood of Christ that was poured out, the power of the, the body of Christ that was broken for you and I so that we could be saved and cleansed and changed and transformed. But then we also celebrate the power of the resurrection and the empty tomb, knowing that through through his broken body and through his shed blood, you and I are given a wholeness, whole life, clean life, a new life. So I pray that you would think on those things before engaging. If you're here with us and you are not a believer, I'd ask that you not partake in this meal as it would be just a mere thing that you would be doing, a tradition thing. But if you're a believer and you're here, you're more than welcome to join the family, take communion. And if you would need prayer for anything, you hear you're an unbeliever, you want to maybe receive prayer about that, um, talk to me about that. Dave and I will stay down near the front after this is all over for a while. We'll be here to pray with you. Um, so yeah, let's close in worship and prayer and communion together. I uh, love you guys. Thanks for letting me preach. audio message from the well a gospel-centered church family in hastings nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify god for more information please visit www.thewellhastings.com